Well, good evening once again, family. It's a, it's a joy to be with everybody. And once again, happy new year in person to everyone. I pray that everyone has had a good first week of the new year. It's a joy to be with you guys and sing praises to King Jesus and hear his word this evening. And so if you have a Bible, I'm going to get you to turn to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 is where we're going to be. Verses 22 through 33. And as you turn there, let me briefly kind of sketch out uh, yeah, a, a preaching plan over these next few weeks slash months here at CACC. And so today and in the coming weeks, Lord willing, we'll journey towards wrapping up our sermon series here in the book of Ephesians. Right? We we've been we've been journeying through the book of Ephesians since uh, the yeah second Sunday uh, that we uh, gathered as a church back in April. And so we've been taking our time through it, working through it. And so Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, it'll take us into February some. Uh, we'll, we'll finish our sermon series here in Ephesians. But next Sunday, and I'm really excited, uh, our brother Brock will be preaching the word. And so looking forward to all that Brother Brock will be ministering to us on next Sunday. And then the Sunday following Brother Brock, Brother Rick will be preaching God's word to us. And so what a treat uh, to hear both of these faithful brothers proclaim God's word here in these coming weeks. And then once we wrap up the book of Ephesians, Lord willing, we'll be starting a new sermon series through the gospel of Mark. So we'll we'll start a new sermon series through the gospel of Mark. And I'm really looking forward to yeah, looking at the Gospel of Mark together and seeing Jesus. And as we've been already talking about in this new year, and even last year, but talking about this new year of how we desire as a church, I desire as an individual, as a pastor, as a husband, father, to live and look more like Jesus, right? And we all are desiring to live and look more like Jesus. And so uh, may it be so as a result of walking through the Gospel of Mark that we look and live more like Jesus. Amen? May that be so. And so we'll, we'll dive into that new sermon series at some point here soon in the next few months or so. And as always, let me encourage you all, family, uh, to be praying for the preaching of God's word weekly, regularly. Be praying for the preaching of God's word on Sunday evening, but then also that uh, throughout the week that it would continue to take root in our hearts and that we will be able to apply it each week to our hearts and in our homes and in our workplaces and with our friends and with our family members, et cetera, et cetera, that the word that never comes back void will continue to do the work in all of our hearts and, and in our family's hearts and so forth and so forth. Amen? Amen. Well, let me now turn our attention to God's word. So if you're already there, let me uh, pray again. Let me ask God for his help and then we'll, we'll dive in. Let me pray again. Father, thank you for this evening, and uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the truth of your word. Uh, we thank you, God, that uh, you are a God who cannot lie. It's, it's not a part of your nature. And every word on the pages of Scripture is true, every part of it. And so, God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We uh, pray, God, that you would help us to uh, believe the truth of your word and dismiss any lies that um, that the culture, that the enemy 
that even our own selves would attempt to spew. Help us to, to bring those thoughts and bring those lies under the authority of your word. Help us to bring ourselves, to humble ourselves under the authority of your word this evening. And we pray, God, that your word will do the work in all of our hearts in every way that you see fit. And so help us to hear your word. Give us ears to hear. God, give us eyes to see the beauty of Christ this evening. And uh, we pray, God, that you would even compel us to go and to proclaim the excellencies of Christ this week. And so, God, we, we ask that you would do all these things. And that you would do it for your glory. No glory to us, but all glory to you. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So Ephesians 5, starting at verse 22, reads as follows. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is God's word. Amen? God's word. So we live in a time in our culture where biblical marriage is not the norm. It doesn't seem to be the norm. And is not widely accepted in our culture. And so even in our culture and even among some churches, marriage isn't seen as a holy union between one man and one woman. And it isn't held in high esteem as it should or as it once should and as it always should be. I mean, just look on your timelines, right? Uh, when you're on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, for the cool kids, TikTok, and all these other uh, social media accounts and whatnot, look at the many marriage shows that come on TV or that you can stream. And I'm not saying that they're all bad to watch. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that the culture, the culture has a different definition of marriage than the Bible. The culture has a different definition of what marriage is to be and who marriage is to be for and how marriage is to be navigated than what the Bible tells us those things should be. And people are going to marry at first sight. 
don't know if any of y'all ever seen that show. We've seen it <laughs> a couple of times. But people are going to marry at first sight for marriage counseling and pointers versus going to the Bible to be counseled on what marriage is to be and who it is to be for. They're going to shows like that or any other show or they're going to these different social media accounts. They're going to others besides going to the word, the word. Where even our sister Natasha read in the beginning where God instituted marriage, right? God set the parameters for what marriage is to be and who it is to be for and ultimately to be for himself, for his glory. I love how Dr. Kostenberger and Dr. Jones, Dr. Kostenberger used to serve at Southeastern Seminary where I was a student uh, and Dr. Jones currently serves there um, as a professor. But I love in their book, some of you all may have read this before, but God, Marriage and Family, uh, they wrote this book. I love what they speak to this. They say, for the first time in its history, Western civilization is confronted with the need to define the meaning of the terms marriage and family. What until now has been considered a normal family made up of a father, mother, and a number of children has in recent years begun to be viewed as one among several options. Now, this book was originally published in 2004. Originally published in 2004. And just think about the weight of a quote like that in 2022, where from 2004 to 2022, uh, the different views, the different ways, and all of these different things that have navigated uh, in marriage since then, right? Just think about that. And in marriage, if we're not too careful, we've begun to think that it's about us. For those who are married, even for those who are not married, we begin to view these type of things as, man, it's, it's solely about us, our wants, our needs. And I'm not saying in some ways that our needs in different ways shouldn't be met. But has it ever crossed your mind that marriage isn't solely about you or me or your spouse or a future spouse, Lord willing? But that is about God. It's about God. And I hope in our time this evening that we will see that afresh this evening, that we'll see that, yes, God does bring a man and a woman together. And as they come together, they glorify him and uh, become one. But in that oneness, that oneness is meant to point to God. It's meant to point to his glory, his glory his glory in the church, as we will see here in Ephesians 5. So if you're taking notes this evening, here's the main idea of our passage in our time together. It's this biblical marriage between a man and a woman is a snapshot of the ultimate picture of the gospel. So biblical marriage between one man, one woman is a snapshot of the ultimate picture of the gospel. Two points to help guide us during our time. Very simple outline. Wives. As even Paul has, has started that out right in verse 22. Wives. So we'll look at that from verses 22 through 24 and 
verse 33, and then husbands. Point number two, husbands. So one, wives, two, husbands. And we'll see that in verses 25 through 30 and also verse 33. So let's, let's start with wives. Look back with me at verses 22 through 24. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So Paul here in this passage gives instructions to wives, right? We see that first. He gives instruction to wives first. And then he also gives an example or an illustration to follow that, right? So that instruction is wives are to submit to their own husbands and respect them, as it says in verse 33. Let's look at the word submission first, right? And then we'll, we'll look at respect. But let's look at the word submission. Now, the word submission has gotten a bad rap, right? And I know sometimes this has been a word that has been used in a negative and unbiblical sense. Although this can be a tough word for some, right? Submission can be a tough word for some. We must remember that this is in God's word. And it's there for us to learn its meaning, to study it, and then to obey it, right? And because it's God's word, when we come to when we come across hard passages or passages that make us react negatively, uh, we have to remember the character of the person who the word is coming from, and that being God. Right. So when we come across challenging passages like this or other passages that we uh, may come across in the Bible. Right. You have to remember the character of the one whose words these are. And that being God, being reminded of his character, right? And one other thought to add to this, as some have wrongly interpreted this passage and, and other passages uh, to mean that Paul doesn't value women uh, when he does, and Jesus did too. They believe that women were image bearers, are image bearers, right? They had women serving with them, right? And so forth and so forth. So I want to just briefly just kind of, you know, touch on that lie and that false interpretation uh, that is prevalent in our culture. Right. And then the other thing to note that this is not the only place that submission is noted. Right. In the context of marriage. This is consistent with the New Testament's teaching. So I won't read these, but you can write these down. Uh, so Colossians 3.18 1 Peter 3, 1, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, Titus 2, 4 through 5, and then also 1 Corinthians 11, 3. So, so we have this word that's mentioned here in our passage, but it's consistent with the New Testament's teaching and implications as it relates to working that out. So in, in light of that, a wrong way that folks have interpreted this word submission to mean like uh, the husbands are drill sergeants and the wives must report to duty when the husbands say they should. That's a wrong way to interpret this word. And it's not correct. Biblically, right. I love what New Testament scholar Dr. Kostenberger says on this. I've just quoted him earlier in the sermon. But to quote him again, he says, while some may view submitting to one's husband's authority as something negative, 
A more accurate way of looking at marital roles is to understand that wives are called to follow their husband's loving leadership, right? Emphasis added on husband's loving leadership. So we'll dive into husband's loving leadership in just a second, but God calls wives to follow their husband's, husband's loving leadership, not lording leadership. Loving, not lording, right? And notice in the text that wives are to submit to their own husbands. You see that in the text? It says, submit to your own husbands. It didn't say every man, right? It's not saying submit to every man, saying to their own husbands. So just needing to say this, wanting to say this, I know we're all on the same page about this, and this wouldn't catch any of us by surprise, but I just want to say it. At CHCC, we don't tolerate any mistreating of women, right? We don't tolerate any mistreating of women, any demeaning of women, any chauvinistic thinking or actions against women. Uh, We don't tolerate that here, right? We love women. We are grateful for women. We are thankful for the many giftings and talents that are on display amongst the ladies of this church, right? And ladies all over. And we are blessed to have a sweet group of of women a part of this church serving with us week in and week out. So we just are grateful for you all. We are a better church because of you all. We are a better church because of you all. So to continue, notice that the motivation for wives to submit to their own husbands is the Lord. So the motivation, so wives are called to submit to their husbands and the motivation of submitting to their husbands is the Lord, right? So we concluded a few weeks ago when we looked at Ephesians 5.21 that the members of the church are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see that if you look above The passage we're in, you see that at the end of 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? That word reverence means fear. Not fear in the spooky sense, like you're afraid or anything along those lines, but awe. Awe, a reverence, right? So we submit to one another out of our awe, out of our respect for the Lord. So then wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord out of reverence, out of awe for the Lord. And then in light of that, we see in verse 23, look there with me in verse 23, the start of an illustration. Right. Paul mentions there that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, which is his body as he is its savior. So when we think about headship, when we think about biblical headship in regards to marriage, We must be reminded that this is rooted in creation, right? This is rooted in creation. And so in creation, we see that God created man and woman with the same worth, same dignity and purpose, but with different roles as it relates to marriage. So the husband is the head and the wife submits or follows him like Christ as he is the head of the church and is the savior. Now, husbands are not saviors. There's only one savior, and that's Jesus, right? And so wives are to look to Jesus as their savior. Husbands are to look to Jesus as their savior. 
Husbands and wives are not one another's saviors. Only Jesus is. And because Jesus is the savior, as a church, we are to submit to him. Verse 24. Right? So he is the Lord, which means he has complete rule and reign over us. And he is our savior, which means he lived, died, was buried, and was raised from the dead to save the church. To save his people from their sins. To save his bride. So then, as we continue to think about, so then, as it says here in the text, what does it mean to submit in everything? What does it mean to submit in everything? Well, it means to uh, submit in every area of life. But it doesn't mean a wife should follow a husband if he is leading her to sin. Does not mean that. Does not mean that if a husband is living a life that is unpleasing to God or is pursuing sinful activity and is inviting his wife to follow him in that, why I say no? Because you want to follow Christ in holiness and you want to pray for your husband or future husband or whomever. You want to pray that this person would follow Jesus and that they would follow him and live a life pleasing to him. So wives aren't to follow a husband as far as it leads to sin, but wives are to submit, as the text tells us, in every area of life, but not follow if it means sin. So ladies, you all might be asking, how come we have to submit, but the husbands are to love? It's a good question. But isn't submission just another aspect of love? Isn't submission just another aspect of love? I love how John Stott puts it this way. He says, the wife's submission is but another aspect of love. What does it mean to submit? It is to give oneself up to somebody. What does it mean to love? It is to give oneself up for somebody. So submission, love, means to, to give oneself up for somebody. So, wives, are you giving yourself up for your husbands? Husbands, are we giving ourselves up for our wives? May we both love one another in this way. That we see that submitting, loving is a way for us to give up one's self for the other. And then as it relates to respect, look at verse 33 with me. It says there, it says, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I love what Dr. Marita says here. He says, the better word for this is fear. Verse 21, he says, however, it does not mean terror, but awe. Why did Paul use this term? I am not sure. But one reason surely is that the husband will give an account to God for leading, for his leading of the family. Both should stand in awe of that assignment. Both should stand in awe of that assignment. He continues to say, he says, on a practical level, the husband needs the wife's respect. Typically, women crave love, although I would say men crave love too. And then it says, men desire respect. The wife should see the responsibility of her husband that her husband has and respect him, love him, pray for him, and respect his needs. So, I think this on, on a level of, 
of thinking about what it means for submission and respect. And as it relates to, yeah, God's word, calling wives to, to do that and to think about how that is the way that God has called wives to relate to their husbands, but then husbands. As we move on to our second and last point, husbands. Look back with me at verse 25. Here's what it reads. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So then husbands are to love their wives sacrificially, right? This is a sacrificial love like Christ's love for the church. So husbands in the room, there's only two husbands in the room. The call to love our wives is a call to die. And that is a weighty call. This doesn't mean that our death could save our wives spiritually in the same way that Christ's death did. Although it could mean that we might have to risk our lives or something along those lines to save our wives. It, it could mean that. It could come down to that. But more so, what this is referring to is that we as husbands are willing to give ourselves away for the good of our brides, right? It's a dying to self type of love. It's a sacrificing of your time or good ambitions type of love. It's a crucifying your flesh type of love and committing to be faithful to your wife, fighting against sexual temptation, fighting against pride or anger, or anything along those lines type of love, right? It's that serving type of love. The same type of loving service we see in Lord Jesus. The one who washes the disciples' feet. So husbands are to serve our wives in that way. So we must love our wives like Jesus loved the church. And as a husband, as husbands, we're imperfect in this, but we must strive to do this faithfully regularly. We must put in work. We must take initiative and seek to have the right posture as we love our wives, right? Then we are also to love our wives with the word. Look at verse 26 with me. We're to love our wives with the word. It says in verse 26, it says that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Washing of the water is referring to like a spiritual cleansing, right? So then practically speaking, although husbands can't atone for their wives' sin, uh, this phrase is meant to serve as a pattern for husbands in that we, they, should model after Christ and help our spouses grow in Christ-likeness. Right. So loving our wives with the word is a pattern for husbands to help to 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 model after Christ in helping our spouses grow in Christ likeness, which gets after verse 27. Look there with me. What does it say? It says so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So husbands, we are to. Love our wives to holiness. Christ's sacrifice on the cross provides salvation 
for the church. It sanctifies the church and presents a spotless church. Right. So in a similar sense, husbands, we are to help our wives grow in holiness and be helped to grow in holiness by our wives, from our wives. Right. So some ways that we would do that is spending time in the word with our wives regularly, praying with and for them fervently and pointing them to Jesus always. Right. So how's that going for us as husbands? How's that going for me? How's that going for husbands? If it isn't something that's happening or maybe it was or you fell off a bit. Let me encourage all of us, right, to resolve to make this a priority. We might need to change some things in our schedules or miss a show or a game or whatever, but it's worth it. It's worth it, and God's word calls us to it, calls all husbands in this room and all Christian husbands around the world to love our wives with the word, right? Same with our children, May we not let our children's discipleship come from TikTok, Instagram, or YouTube. We will give an account on how we led our families. May we all be found faithful in leading them well, leading them to Jesus by loving them to holiness in Jesus. May that be from, from the moms to you know, the dads. May that be evident of us and even yeah, may that, may that be evident. May that be something we strive towards on a daily basis. Verses 28 to 30, we are told that this love is also a sanctive, excuse me, satisfying love, right? It's a satisfying love. It is a sanctifying love, but it's a satisfying love. And so look there with me. Verse 28, it says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. We are to love our wives like we love ourselves. So the same type of energy uh, we put into loving ourselves, may we put the same type of energy into loving our wives just as you long to satisfy your needs or how I long to satisfy my needs. Maybe seek to satisfy our spouse's needs. And so may we seek to nourish and cherish our wives. May we seek to admire and compliment our wives. And then in verse 31, Paul points us back to the institution of marriage back in Genesis 2.24, right? So as I said in the beginning, and as I'll say now, is that marriage was, was God's idea. God laid out the parameters for marriage. He defines what marriage is and who marriage is for, between one man and woman, for his glory, and to be a snapshot for his glorious gospel, right? Marriage is meant to point to something greater Right. We've been alluding to it all evening and even have talked about it some here and hovering over it. But in verse 32, Paul gets right to the point. He gets right to the point where marriage is pointing to something greater. It says in verse 32, it says this mystery is profound 
And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church, right? This is a profound mystery and an amazing truth. So biblical marriage is a picture of the gospel. Uh, the wife submits to the husband. The way the husband loves the wife is all meant to point to how the church submits to Christ and how Christ loves his bride. It's really a beautiful picture if you think about it. It's a glorious picture when you think about it, right? So when we think about uh, attending a wedding um, and you see two Christians uh, coming together as one and how their oneness shows off the life, death, burial, and resurrection. And when we're there, when we're seeing that, when we see them uh, sharing those vows and all those different things, we, we are witnessing wonder. We are witnesses of wonder. We are witnesses of the grace and mercy of God to individuals saying their vows before one another, before the crowd, and ultimately before the Lord. So marriage is, is meant to, to point to the relationship uh, between Christ and his church, right? And as we've looked at here, Christ died for his bride, right? And so in a, in a, in a beautiful way, just to think about how spouses relate to one another and how marriage is a call to die, to die to one another's um, sins, to, to die to anything and everything that will hinder you, us, from living a pleasing life unto God, to, to put to put your spouse's interests above your own, right? And in the same way, we think about how Christ comes and humbles himself. He makes himself low. He could have stayed high, could have stayed in his heavenly home. But he comes and he humbles himself. He dies on the cross for our sin. He's raised from the dead, seated on the throne. And because of his life, death, burial, and resurrection, he has saved sinners like all of us. And he's saved sinners uh, and called them to come together, a husband and a wife, two sinners coming together who are seeking to make much of Jesus, to glorify Jesus in their marriage. He's called them together. And as he has called them together and as he continues to call them together, that marriage, that union is, a, is meant to point to God's glorious gospel. It's meant to point to God's glory. So just a couple of quick applications before we close. Married couples, may we pray together and evaluate our marriages together often. So praying and evaluating your marriage with your spouse often and making sure, here's what we want to make sure. We want to make sure that Christ is at the center. We want to make sure that Christ is central in our marriages. And may we, as 
married couples strive to keep Christ at the center of it all, at the center of our marriage, at the center of our families. Everything revolves around him. Everything points to him. And may we seek to glorify him. As you did when you stood before the pastor and when you stood before the congregation and when you ultimately stood before him, you sought to glorify him in that moment and seek to glorify him as you live your lives. Even now, we need to make sure that we continue to pray towards that end and that we evaluate and make sure that Christ is central. Wives, seek to submit, to respect your husband's loving leadership. Once again, emphasis on loving leadership. Number three, husbands, love your wives sacrificially like Christ loves the church. Lead them to Jesus. Lead your children to Jesus. And may wives, may we work together to lead one another to Jesus and lead our families to Jesus. If you are not married, I want to encourage you to, to pray in light of this passage, to, to pray that God would help you to remain content in Christ and please him with your life in your singleness. Pray that God would help you to remain content in Christ and that he would give you the strength, he would give you the patience, that he would give you the joy even even in your singleness, to, to help you to live a life pleasing to him. And then number two, by way of application, trust God's plan for your life in your singleness and if and when he will bring you a spouse. So trust God's plan for your life in your singleness right now, in the moment, and if and when he will bring you a spouse. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Keep trusting him. Keep believing on him. Keep looking to him. Keep resting in him and his plans for you. Let's close. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that from this passage that we were reminded of the beauty of marriage and uh, yeah, the weightiness of marriage, the call of marriage and the weightiness of it and, and the gloriousness of it, God. Uh, may we not take that lightly. May we, uh, yeah, not take what you have instituted lightly. I pray, God, that we would, from this time together this evening, uh, have been edified, have been encouraged, have been challenged uh, for married couples here in the room and singles in the room. I pray, God, that you would help us to uh, yeah, find encouragement and joy and wisdom in light of this passage, God. God, I pray that you would continue to mold and shape the married couples here in this room uh, into your image. 
after your likeness, God, that we might uh, yeah, look and live more like you. And for those that are single in the room, God, I pray that you would do the same and that they would find joy in their singleness, God, and that they would find peace in your timing as it relates to however you would work that out for them, however you see fit, wherever you lead and how you lead, God, that they would continue to trust you along that way. And God, yeah, I pray uh, that you would, yeah, bring encouragement to us all. We're imperfect, God. None of us <laughs> have this all worked out or figured out. We're just trying to live holy before you, rightly before you. And we need your spirit to do that, Lord. So fill us up with your spirit, empower us with your spirit, and help us to trust him as we seek to live as married couples and families and in our singleness to the glory of God. Help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.